Welcome to Stop Back and Roll, a podcast about casually getting 30 of your friends together for an enormous multi-game group podcast. I'm James, and today I'm alone. Sort of. Not fully alone. I will be talking to Austin Ramsey, game designer and podcaster, creator of Beam Saber, who is currently crowdfunding a really cool and ambitious project. I guess let's just right off, off the top. Let's just get this out of the way. Brandon is not here, um, but I am not alone. I'm joined by Austin Ramsey, Hello. the designer of Beam Saber. And um, I guess let, introduce yourself. Tell people what you do. Where can they find you um, <laughs> if they're interested in your stuff? Hi, everyone. I'm Austin Ramsey. I'm a tabletop role playing game designer, podcaster, streamer. Uh, I'm best known for making the tabletop role-playing game Beam Saber, which is a Forge in the Dark game about pilots of powerful machines in a war that affects every facet of life. Um, But I've made a bunch of other games too. Um, Another Forge in the Dark game called The Pack, which is me trying to do a minimalist Forge in the Dark game. I've made a couple spindle wheel card games um, and some other small uh inexpensive games as well um i podcasted for uh seven years from 2014 to 2021 um with uh you don't meet in an inn which was a podcast about exploring obscure tabletop role-playing games with a rotating cast uh, i also did a live stream as part a part of you don't meet in an inn um it was a, a year-long fantasy craft campaign. I also did a year-long Beam Saber campaign called Beam Saber the Cenotaph, which got an incomplete podcast format, but it's available on YouTube in its entirety. Um, yeah, cool. I think that's yeah. most, of, most of the stuff I've worked on in the tabletop role-playing game space. Nice, and we'll definitely put all the links. I I, I know that I for the for our listeners, I say I often say that I'll put that in the notes and then forget. I will not forget this time. I will really put all these things <laughs> in, the, in the in the notes. Um, well, and... just in case James forgets, I'm at austin ramsayhio Yes, um, and <laughs> it will definitely be in the notes. I include it in my in my show notes, and that's usually a good sign that I'm going to put it in the in the actual in the in the actual show notes. Um, yeah, it, uh, this is, this is a, this is a weird experience for me. I'll just get, get this out of the way early. Um, you don't meet in the inn was the podcast that got me into tabletop gaming podcasts and <laughs> was like, like I had not played tabletop games for a long time. Uh, I didn't do it as much in college and then graduated, didn't really have a group, didn't really have any friends who were doing it. Started listening to don't, you don't meet in an inn, found some people and ended up making my own podcast. So that's kind of your part of my origin story as a, as a <laughs> tabletop gaming, whatever I am. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad I could uh, inspire you to, to start working on stop, hack and roll and getting more tabletop role playing game in your life. Yeah. If, if, if I may ask, how did you find it? You know, I don't know. Um, that's fair. It's been, a, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. And, and and for a long time, I actually because I, I I started listening to you don't mean it in and I started listening to one shot and I was listening to them alternating and and I think a lot like I I went back and looked through some of the old episodes and I can't even remember which was the first episode I listened to, um, but yeah I don't know it was uh it was interesting and it was just, I think the the kinds of the kinds of stories and the kinds of voices and like the games you were playing i think were more interesting to me cuz i had i was aware that the tabletop gaming podcasts were out there but i wasn't as interested in listening to like a traditional D&D group cuz i wasn't playing those games at that at that point mm-hmm. either um and so yeah that that was a that was one of the big motivations for starting you don't meet in and was the fact that there was mostly uh, it's a lot better now but at the time it, in 2014, it was almost entirely only D&D podcasts yeah. with maybe the odd Shadowrun or Vampire one. But uh, 
No, our our loose rule was uh, no tabletop role playing games that have had a video game adaptation. If they <laughs> if if they had one of those, then it was probably well enough known that it didn't need us covering it. Yeah, and so so I know you listed in your in your 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 spiel about yourself um, that you had done. Uh, you you've written another Forge in the Dark game besides Beam Saber. Was uh, which of the two came first? Uh, Beam Saber came first. Okay. Beam Saber was like the thing that really like I've been designing tabletop role playing games for decades, like long before Beam Saber. Beam Saber is actually my third attempt at making a a mecha tabletop <laughs> role playing game. Um, so third time's the charm there, I guess. And uh, and what was it about Forge in the Dark that said to you, "This is the game that maybe will work for the kind of mech game that I'm looking for." So Beam Saber actually started as a PBTA game um, when I was initially taking notes on it and working on it. Uh, and then the thing that really clinched it for me was downtime. Mm. The downtime phase was what really made me want to switch to Forged in the Dark uh, because I, I think it was probably around that time or maybe a bit before that I had a negative experience in a tabletop role-playing group where I uh, played a character who was an artificer type. Um, but because of the way that the game ran, there was no real opportunity to have for my character to have the downtime to make stuff. Mm. And so that's that was, a, I guess, a turning point in terms of how I viewed game design is that there needs to be space for quiet moments. Mm-hmm. Whether that's, you know, to have uh, interpersonal scenes between characters or to give them a chance to work on stuff that is based essentially a subplot. Um, and so downtime versus uh, mission, like those two phases that are in Forge in the Dark games, uh, that that became really key for why Beam Saber is uh, forged in the dark and not powered by the apocalypse. Yeah, it's it's definitely a as it's I think it's it's interesting as a as like a game structure because it really does say like here is the section of the game where you're doing the mission. This is the thing where you're going to go out and do your heist. And then it really it protects a set of a set of time to say this is the time where you're not doing the heist. You're focusing on the things your character cares about, the the things that you're doing between sessions. What does your character's regular life look like and encourages you to do that. Which I think is cool, and it works really well for yeah, exactly. mech, mech fiction. In terms of like big changes between Forge, the, like Blades in the Dark, um, for the people who are maybe less familiar with Beam Saber, you added, you you basically you doubled kind of character stuff, or you split up character stuff between the character and the vehicle, um, and. I guess I want to talk about I want to talk about quirks is where I'm going with this because <laughs> because quirks are both the thing that like I find they're they're very compelling but they make so like I have a problem with not a problem I have a <laughs> the thing that I struggle <laughs> most with in in Forge the Dark games is you're like cu- like it's it's they're essentially like a lot of them are they're they have a lot of mechanics that that are there to drain your stress and mm-hmm. they make you make hard decisions about stress and when to take stress, when to push yourself, when to resist and and do stress management. And you kind of stepped out and said for vehicles they're going to have your for your mechs, they're going to have stress, but we're going to give each of those stress points like a name and make you care about that stress point <laughs> so that when you spend <laughs> it it hurts more. At least that's been my experience <laughs> with Beam Saber. That that's an interesting way to like, I never thought I I don't think I've heard anyone describe spending quirks as being painful in that way before. So that's interesting to hear another new way that people are experiencing beam saber. Um, But yeah, that quirks come out of the fact that uh, originally vehicles had fuel, which functioned identically Mm. to stress. Um, and then I took an early version of Beam Saber to uh, Proto TO. I think it was in 2018. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, that would it would have been 2018. Take it to Proto TO, which is a uh, 
small convention in Toronto where game designers, both board game designers and tabletop role-playing game designers, bring their prototype games to this convention to playtest for each other and to play games. And so, you know, not everyone there was a game designer, but a lot of people were, unsurprisingly. Um, I was one of three people who brought a tabletop role-playing game. Uh, most of the people there were for, for board game design. Um, and so I ran one session of Beam Saber and I got feedback from it. And uh, one of the pieces of feedback that I got was that fuel was too generic. Mm-hmm. And the idea of quirks came out of that feedback that, you know, you, what if you tie it into a specific part of the vehicle? Um, and so the, the narrative framing of how that works uh, then, you know, grew out of that. It's the thing that the camera focuses on when you are got your moment of action, when your moment of excitement. What does, what's the exciting thing about your vehicle, the special thing about your vehicle in that moment where you, you take, where you charge forward into the fray. Um, so yeah, that, that's where Quirks came out of. But also I, I wanted to give them a negative side as well. I don't think, I don't, in my experience of playing Beam Saber, the negative side of Quirks don't come up that often, in all honesty, but I think that it gives them an interesting bit of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also allows for one of the, the directions with Quirks is that if you're having trouble coming up with an idea for what your vehicle's Quirks should be, you can take an existing example of uh, load that vehicles have access to, especially uh, vehicle load that isn't accessible by your playbook, and then giving it a negative uh, qualifier to explain why it only works sometimes, as as opposed to being consistent. You know, like I think one of the examples is like intermittent optical camouflage, whereas <laughs> the uh, the the infiltrator playbook just has op- like fine optical camouflage for their vehicle. Yeah, my the when I played in a beam saber campaign, I my my mech one of its quirks was makeshift VTOL. I, I actually pulled it up. I had numerous workstations, omnidirectional sensor array, makeshift vehicle, and independent motor control. And yeah, Are that, you a that technician. I was I was playing the hive. Oh, <laughs> so I, I I played a weird character. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was an interesting game. Um, but yeah, I just love that moment where you kind of like from a cinematic point of view, you're or like from a mechanical point of view, you're you're checking off, you're exhausting the quirk to push yourself or to 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 take uh, to resist something. But like I would always have this kind of moment where I would stop and think, is this the moment where narratively it makes sense for me to like push the v- the makeshift VTOL system and blow it out and then have to repair it later? And like, I won't have that narratively for the rest of the, the mission. And it just made those moments feel in, in like when you're just marking stress, they kind of come and go. But because mm-hmm. you've tied it to like a, a, a thing that's part of this mech that you care about, I found it very compelling. Like I, I work, I, I really like the Forge in the Dark system unsurprisingly. And so there are, I've got three other games in the Forge in the Dark system that I'm currently working on that are in various uh, states of, in completion um and all of them i'm trying different things with uh how various mechanics in forge in the dark work in like stress for instance and incorporating quirks into the player character into the, the person that you play as opposed to a vehicle effectively Ooh. in one particular in one of the games you know, so there's there's a lot of room to play around with uh stress as a mechanic like, and I consider quirks a variation on the stress mechanic, unsurprisingly. So there's a lot of room for um, hacking in that regards. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and just I'm, like, I'm, I'm remembering my time playing it. And in just in general, there's a lot more. There's a lot more um, uh, like because of the way that the whole like don't plan and just and just engage in a in a, in a heist thing that Forge the Dark Games typically do. There's a lot of um, impermanency around the characters. You're not like you're not saying I always have these items. And I think that one of the little tweaks that you did was 
for your mech, things are a little bit more permanent. And you are like loading weapons on that stick around for a little while. Um, da- damage is a little bit harder. You have to like repair it. And um, I like that too. I think it, it's just like it contrasts it nicely to like this is a big machine that is going to take time to fix. It's not like the way you get over rattled. Yeah, I really, especially with load, I wanted to um, include something, as you say, that differentiated the vehicle from the pilot. So the fact that you don't clear all of your load every single uh, mission, at the end of every single mission, and the fact that it in fact costs you resources to change your load um, during downtime, that I know there are some players who don't like that rule, uh, but I think that that is an important friction point in terms of like getting across the flavor of vehicles. You know, it, it expresses that vehicles, they don't just naturally adapt uh, to changes in weight and purpose in the ways that a person does. You know, there are limitations to this mechanical body you have uh, that that as as much as it can help extend your reach to meet your grasp. It uh, still has its own limitations. Like uh, talking about quirks earlier, one one major difference in how quirks function compared to stress um, is that with stress, if you're resisting a consequence, you roll your attribute. And so you might end up not spending any stress at all or even gaining one stress back, depending upon how the roll goes. But with a vehicle, it's a flat number of quirks that you have to spend. And it can be very punishing if you're not very good with your vehicle because it's uh, four quirks minus the number of, um, minus your vehicle attribute rating that is relevant. And you only start with four quirks. So you could potentially burn out your vehicle by resisting a single consequence if you're no good at vehicles. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and and it kind of, I think, and that plays into the, general overall like war-torn world setting of beam saber as well because it 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 plays into the over like the like again forge the dark games in general have a kind of a my characters are being like worn out over time like they're 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 stressed they're being overstressed but in by just tweaking it just a little bit and saying it's gonna be a little bit harder to recover stress it's gonna be a little bit harder to, to repair your mech makes it so that you have to to really think about when's the right time to to repair when how are you going to manage your resources and 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 emphasize and it emphasizes how just going out and doing the hard things with a mech will slowly build up and and drag you down because war is war is hell mm-hmm. and i actually in the the final version of beam saber that is currently out i actually uh made it more gentle in terms of recovery there's optional rules. Uh, there's there's several optional rules, or not optional, alternative rules mm-hmm. in the back of the book if you want to change how Beam Saber functions for your group. Um, and one of them has the original recovery and fix rules, uh, which is actually more punishing than it currently exists. <laughs> um, so, and part of the reason I did that is because I wanted to make sure that uh, in, in early playtests, two downtime was almost entirely maintenance and so it mm. didn't give players the opportunity to pursue their own subplots with long-term projects and such and uh so i wanted to make sure there was space for that and part of that was you know making recovery a little bit gentler even if it is still painful <laughs> that's interesting i'll have to go make sure that i have the most up-to-date version of saber because i backed <laughs> it and i don't know that i do uh, but yeah, when I played, we played with um, I was playing the hive, which I so I had a hive mind character, which was interesting. It's from one of the I think it's from an expansion book. Yeah, from the growing conflict, which was interesting. And then we had a tech. We did have a technician. We had a we had a uh, a captain who had a capital ship. And so actually having a capital ship where gave us the we had a refit station on the capital ship. And so it made switching out our weapons a little bit a little bit easier but it made it made it like much more important for us to like absolutely protect this capital ship um, yeah and also you invested the like a refit stations mm-hmm. and a squad upgrade so you would have had to invest you know either the reason the time of a long-term project 
or the resource of spending your squad XP when you leveled up on that. Yeah. So I think that that's sort of like, it's, it's, I don't, I mean, obviously I designed the game, so <laughs> I obviously don't mind if, um, you know, things are gentler if, if players have put in the time and effort to make them gentler for themselves. Right. It speaks yeah. to their priorities. Yeah. And especially because it worked, it worked narratively really well with, our captain who had this capital ship that was a big like old mining vessel that we had re like repurposed into a a war vessel for our our little squad and so it all just like it all just jived very well as a a thing and then our last character was a proxy which is all cool yeah so that was my experience playing playing uh playing beam saber um so why don't we talk about Kalazcon now because that is so it's 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 a lot of things <laughs> it's big it's, <laughs> it's it, big it's big um and i i went i got in, in in preparing for this episode i went back and i reviewed it and i, and I was just impressed with how big it, how big it was and has it actually gotten bigger because i think the there are some places i guess how many squads do you actually have so you have six squads or five squads sort of six okay big level Kaliscon is a mega game actual play series that I'm currently crowdfunding for. If you go to Indiegogo uh, slash Kaliscon, I think that should take you there. Or if you just Google Kaliscon, that's C-A-L-A-Z-C-O-N, um, then you should be able to find it on Indiegogo. Uh, so it's I I'm crowdfunding for this because it's it's very big. As I said, it's a mega game. Um, which is a specific type of game that is typically played at conventions because you need like minimum more than a dozen people to play yeah. these mega games. Because the way they work is that you have multiple subgroups of players. Like uh, the example I usually use is the mega game called Watch the Skies, uh, which is about uh, an alien invasion of Earth. And so there's one group of players who are playing the aliens. And then a handful of groups of players who are playing different Earth nations. Mm. And so the different Earth nations, they each have their own individual goals about what they want to get out of this invasion. You know, whether it's alien technology or political power over one of the other nations or, you know, something to that effect. But as a whole, they also have the goal of avoiding alien subjugation. Whereas the aliens only have the singular goal of subjugating Earth. <laughs> and so it's about how these different groups interact with each other, because, you know, you have the aliens trying to subvert the Earth nations. Maybe they offer one group like, hey, if you don't send in your military in this area, we'll slide you these, you know, like plasma weapons or whatever. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's the the. the key part of a mega game is about having multiple groups interacting with each other both directly and indirectly and so i am bringing that to an actual play series uh because there have been I, i've done a bit of research into how these things have worked and there have been a couple of attempts at having different groups and how they affect each other um but usually it's uh, pretty indirect or only partially recorded or it's uh, multiple groups in the same setting but not in the same time period or the same parts of the world you know that so i'm trying to bring it all together in this one big game <laughs> where there's going to be uh, five traditional beam saber squads but each squad is going to have a legislator who will mm -hmm. represent that squad's desires, theoretically, in the uh, parliament for the, the squad's shared faction, because every squad is going to be part of a democratic faction, and so they will have their voice heard in directing how the war develops going forward after every downtime session. So that's, that's sort of the, the broad pitch of uh, the, the goal of this uh, series. Um, and then the setting itself, it's called Kalizcon, uh because it is about a nomadic m convention about 
that that is focused on a mega franchise. You know, think of your Gundams, think of your Star Wars, you know, the kind of uh, think of your Doctor Who or your Sherlock Holmes, (laughs) the kind of uh, narrative franchise that has existed for a very long time, for decades. Um, And so it's created this sprawling fandom who has multiple interpretations of what this this fictional setting should be and what its products should be. And this convention crashes into uh, a city that is under siege by invaders um, Mm. and occupies the city against the locals' desires. And so it's about these three sides, the invaders, who the players are going to be the part part of because it's the democratic faction who's doing this, invading this planet. The convention uh, goers, the volunteers and workers, uh, and then the people of the occupied city who, even if they get out from under the thumb of this occupying convention, uh, <laughs> will still have to deal with the, the democratic, uh, quote unquote, liberators who are outside their walls. And so that's the, uh, that's the setting in a, a nutshell. I love it. Occupying convention is such a, a funny concept. I kind of love it. it. It's partially inspired by um, sort of uh, real world events to a degree. Um, you know, something that we talked about in in uh, the Kaliscon uh, cast discord is the sort of themes that are meant to be explored and what we're pulling inspiration from. And one of those is the green zone uh, set up by the American military in Baghdad during the Iraq war where just in the middle of downtown Baghdad, you know, they plopped down a bunch of uh, American conveniences for the troops. So there was, you know, fast food joints and Mm. stores and so forth that Americans would find familiar, but which were completely out of place and alien to the historic city of Baghdad. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's... Yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting. It's just an it's just an element I wouldn't have thought of, and so I kind of like it. Um, so in terms of me- like running this mechanically, um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to figure out where to attack this. But so I guess so. All the players are are, are going to be broken up into squads. Um, and they're all squads related that are part of this democratic faction. Was there ever a version of this where you toyed with the idea of having them on opposite factions or letting them choose which faction they were part of? Or did you know that like the way that it was going to uh, make well, this work was like, if they all had to be on the same side, there were, there was two main concerns with how this was going to work. Uh, the first one was the fact that, um, different factions, their government's faction or function Mm. in different ways right you know so like the uh, autocracy faction in the setting the jovengelian empire which is actually the uh the locals who are being occupied they're an autocracy so there's a single person at the top who makes all of the decisions and hands those down and then a corporatocracy faction which is what uh is um they, the different corporations that make it up, they bid resources to assign squad like actions for what should happen going forward. Um, so it's sort of democratic in the sense that everyone gets an opportunity to control, to have put their hand on the wheel of power, except that whoever has the most money to spend gets the biggest hand, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that everyone had an opportunity to wield the levers of power. So that meant everyone had to be a part of a democratic faction um, mm-hmm. to make sure that the, the, the faction management rules functioned the way that I wanted them to. Uh, so that was one concern. The other concern is the fact that Beam Saber specifically and Forged in the Dark broadly is not designed for PvP. Yeah, you know it's it's not made for player versus player conflict. There are directions on how that will function should it come up because you know you get, 
there's some eventualities you have to prepare for as a game designer. Um, but it's bet works works best when it's not uh, players face fighting each other um, or in, in direct conflict with each other. So that was the other uh, consideration for why I wanted them to be on the same faction is to avoid those sorts of direct conflicts. Now, I also expected there to be conflicts between them, but I put up certain uh, uh, airbags to gentle those blows, like the fact that every single squad has an NPC support structure. So if they do come into conflict with each other, really what's happening is that the squads are coming into conflict and not the player characters specifically. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, because although they are on the same side, they'll they're all independent squads who are in undergo or they're undertaking military operations for their for the Democratic faction, and so they are bound to maybe bump into each other's operations a little bit. <laughs> um, exactly. Plus, yeah. also each each player character has their own drive that they're pursuing which may come into conflict um, mm-hmm. with with other player characters drives potentially. Interesting. Yeah. So that's that almost makes it sound like so. OK, just to, to, to back up and talk about the the rough like this cycle framework you've got. It sounds like largely what, what basically what people uh, well, the way the, the way the show is going to work is um, there will be mission meet uh, like episodes for each each of the squads downtime episodes for each of the squads and then a legislative section uh, session, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but it almost sounds like maybe more of the conflict between inter squad things will happen during the downtime episodes and less like someone's doing something in a, in a, in a mission meeting uh, session that then like blows up some building that somebody else needed. I'm honest, like, I have sort of three guiding principles for for that I, I have tried to convey to the, the cast as best I can, um, which is that this is a game, this is a show, and this is an experiment. Mm-hmm. So there are some things that I do not have an answer for. Like, I had not considered the fact that downtime might be the place where most conflict occurs between the squads. That's certainly a possibility. Um, you know, long-term projects are there to break the rules. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens with those. That is something I'm prepared for. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know other than the legislature, which as you said, we'll talk about in a bit. I don't know where these, uh, uh, hotspots are going to occur between the player squads. I know that at least one player has, uh, Arrival in another democratic squad. Um, another player squad. Yeah, but it's it's going to be an NPC rival, oh, okay. of course. Okay. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So we'll you know see how that plays out. Uh, whether the, those conflicts mostly come up in downtime or in in the mission. Um, so it's it's like I said, it's it's a lot of uh, experimentation here. I'm hoping that Kaliscon will be something that other actual play series who are interested in pursuing a mega game format like this can point to and say, here's the things they did right. And here's the things they did wrong. Cause I'm sure we'll do both. Yeah. I think, I think that experimentation experiment, that, that exper- nature of experimentation um, that seems to be pretty built into this is what makes it very interesting to me is that you're kind of explicitly saying, this is a real big thing. It's a little bit weird. We're going to try it. And we're going to we think it's going to work. Well, we're going to find out (laughs) and come along on the ride with us. And I like that. So when you were bringing people together for this, all of this structure for the show, did you kind of sit down as the designer of the game and say, this is a good way that I think that this will work? Um, here's a good, here's a setting that I think will be interesting and then try to find people who are interested in that. Or did you find people and then kind of build the setting and, uh, and the framework for the show around with those people involved? It sounds like you did a little bit of, uh, involving people in it. Mostly the former, 
a little bit of the latter. Okay. Right. Like, um, in, in the growing conflict supplement for beam saber, which is where uh, the hive and proxy and captain playbooks that you mentioned earlier, those are all in that, uh, supplement. It also includes the faction management rules that I modified mm. slightly to create uh, the the faction management rules for this mega game format. Um, there's slight variation on it because the original version ex- assumes that the players are only going to be part of a single squad, uh, and so obviously that needed the change. But it wasn't that big of a change for the democratic faction. That's another, I guess. Quiet, quieter reason why we went with the Democratic faction as opposed to a different um, faction type. Uh, and then the setting, Kaliskon, is actually also in the Growing Conflict. Um, the, the, that supplement includes two additional settings that take place in the same universe as the default Beam Saber setting of Izya, uh, but have different scales. Uh, Kaliskon focusing on a single city. Uh, then the other one, Steel Meadow, Meadows, focuses on a solar system. Um, and so I took that and I modified it slightly because in the original version, the Democratic faction is not part of that setting. Um, but so, so I just swapped out one faction for the Democratic one. Um, and it worked. It worked pretty well. Uh, yeah. And then I... You know, did a lot of uh, preparation about how this would be structured. You know, a lot of thinking to myself and taking notes, and then expanding on those notes and asking myself more questions as uh, issues pop up in my mind as I think about how this would work. And then I eventually, you know, once I got the cast together, you know, then I put the my notes and my thoughts after I've uh, alchemized them into something more presentable uh, in front of the, the cast. And of course, everyone there had a bunch of questions about various aspects. Um, and so, you know, they contributed their own answers and I answered the things that I felt were necessary for me specifically to answer about the project. Uh, so, yeah, it's been, you know, I've, I would probably say like, you know, 80% me preparing stuff ahead of time and then 20% input from the players once uh, things things were uh, uh, presented to them. And in part because I think that with something this big, you need to have a firm hand on the tiller. Um, you know, I had considered you know trying like the possibility of doing a setting creation game always Mm -hmm. existed but with you know there's 31 on-screen participants including myself and trying to organ schedule anything with that many people yeah it just wouldn't happen you know it's uh you know life happens to people and things get delayed and people aren't able to make certain things that are scheduled right it's it's a reality and so even like the the things that i have asked people to uh present like character questionnaires to help um uh the artist who's doing art for the project design the the characters even those have you know come on in in trips and drabs at times you know just life gets in the way yeah and you need a setting too that'll support a group like five groups of players like i could like if you i could see a world in which you you did a a kind of more open setting building and like i don't know i've done because i've done that a bunch myself but i've never done it with like a larger group uh of 30 people i've done it with a group of like six people and it's easy to come up with a setting where a group of six characters can can be like can be acting but to i don't know this feels like a very like you, you'd want to very particularly design the setting to make sure that it, there's room for six people six groups of people yeah i can definitely see that with the uh with the wrong even picking the wrong setting creation game or even the right one where you know 
people end up getting focused on certain things or whether that means that everyone focuses on the same thing and then they all end up with their characters pointed in the same direction, which doesn't lead to conflict between them. Yeah. Um, or they end up in entirely different areas of the setting, potentially, you know, where they will never effectively uh, change the, the locales of each other and the direction of each other. That also wouldn't be ideal for, for this project. So starting with a, uh, a, uh, that was par- also part of the reason why we went with the Kalaskan setting instead of the Steel Meadow setting, which is one I was considering. Um, it's because setting it into a single city and that city's immediate environs, you know, concentrates the player action. Yeah, and it, it increases the chances that they'll do something that will affect one of the other squads, which I think mm-hmm. is where interesting things will happen. Exactly. Actually, uh, that reminded me of a piece of feedback that I got about Beam Saber uh, during playtesting, which I will be honest, I have not been able to solve because it is a uh, because it's it's something that is solved at the setting level and didn't make it made a lot of sense for Blades in the Dark and worked well there, but does not work in Beam Saber, which is that. Uh, people said that Blades in the Dark, Blades in the Dark's Dusk Bowl setting feels claustrophobic mm-hmm. because of the fact that you're locked in this city and there's ghosts outside of it and there's wasteland outside of it. And so wherever you go, wherever you try and take, it belongs to something, someone else. There is another faction in Blades that owns whatever you want. So it doesn't matter what you're taking, you are stealing it. And that always brings you into conflict with another group. And with Beam Saber, that's just not true. I at the like because that's a something solved at the setting level, not at the um, mechanical level. And so I just I haven't written any settings yet where that uh, is a constraint. The closest I think I've come hmm. is probably, you know, uh, something that is the closest I've come is when a squad is part of a faction and that faction has a very clear push for what the actions of the player characters should be. You know, like with Kalaskan, the goal of the democratic faction is to uh, conquer the city that Kalaskan is currently taking place in. So that is a clear direction that should bring the player characters into conflict in a, in a confined space. Yeah. Yeah, well, in the in the it's, that's interesting. In the the beam saber game that I played, we were in a setting where we had decided that uh, the the core like the core thrust of the the conflict was around unearthed alien technology, and so then there was very much like a a, a limited nature to if you went and stole some alien tech that someone had unearthed, you were taking it from one of the other factions. So we kind of backed into solving mm-hmm. that problem, but again, on the setting level, not in, from a mechanical perspective, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think, I mean, part of the problem, part of that problem with Beam Saber, is the default setting that I created. Yeah, which I am sometimes amazed that people like it as much as they do, <laughs> because I wrote, I made the the setting creation rules for Beam Saber first. And then I created the Isya setting as an example. And because of the fact that I knew that not everyone would want to make their own setting for Beam Saber, you know, and give people options, things that they can pull into their own setting if they do make their own setting. Um, And so because of that, I had to somewhat genericize the setting a little bit um, to make it not, not quite everything to everyone, but certainly approaching that to some degree. So let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is this legislative session, um, <laughs> which is interesting for a couple reasons. It's the one place that you've in, in for Kalaskan. It's the one place you've mechanized players between different games, uh, talking to each other directly. Um, 
And also it's a it's a big chunk of the it's a big chunk that is not part of the beam saber game mechanics, right? Like at least because because again, in part because you're not usually expecting there to be other players because you're just one squad. So how did you approach making that happen? Yeah, so um, as I said earlier, I took the the basis of these legislative rules comes from the democratic faction management rules that are found in the growing conflict. Uh, so I, I took those and then I you know asked, how would this look if it was controlled by uh, people with competing interests instead of the players with a singular with presumably singular interests and then GM controlled NPCs with competing interests. So how does it become a little more uh, player conflict centric? Uh, And so that's where the legislative representatives comes in is that each squad has a legislator who represents them. It's not a, <laughs> as we mentioned earlier, getting 30 people together for a, a parliament, uh, <laughs> that would be a nightmare to schedule. I mean, from what I hear, it's hard enough to get actual politicians to show up to all of their meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's where it starts, is each squad being represented by a single person. Um, and I, of course, wanted to introduce some conflict at that level as well. And so each of those uh, legislators has their own drives, uh, just like a pilot does in Beam Saber. And ha- that has similar uses uh, to what the pilots can do. But these characters are much more cut down um, because they aren't going on missions. They aren't doing downtime. They are only doing these legislative sessions. They might have narrative history as being pilots, mm-hmm. but they don't have the mechanics associated with those. Like there's no harm boxes. There's no stress. Gotcha. Um, yeah. There's uh two uh, primary resources, but I guess there are, there are three resources that legislators have access to. There's their drive, which I mentioned earlier. And if they get enough ticks in their drive clock, uh, if they have one clock to spend, they can spend that for an additional vote um, to possibly, you know, sway a vote in their preference um, during the legislature. Or if they have two of them, then they can spend them uh, as a pilot would and change the circumstances of a singular character. And of course, they can combine those with other characters uh, to change the squad's circumstances at three or faction circumstances at four. Um, and the other two resources they have are the number of votes they have and the supply roll modifier that the squad they represent will get in their next, at the end of their next mission. The, the idea being that they can trade their squad, like their squad's budget for additional <laughs> votes in the legislature, right? Or alternatively, uh, you know, trade votes for additional resources coming up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's the the sort of uh, high level of what the the legislators can do is they vote on um, what the future is going to look like, and uh, they can trade those votes to each other for additional you know material and personnel for their squads to get. Oh, that's interesting. So and and the big output of the legislative sec- sessions is the sort of overall strategy of the democratic faction in the war. And that'll, that'll show itself off in the form of missions that the squads are assigned mostly. Is that right? Yeah. So basically, basically there's two stages of voting that happen. Uh, uh, Well, first, every single legislator gets to have two parliamentary actions. They can do any combination of giving a speech or horse trading. 
And giving a speech is exactly what it sounds like. You know, the legislator we're we're going to be the legislators are going to be using Miro to play instead of Roll Twenty, <laughs> so people can you know have slides and stuff. Is the idea? I haven't used Miro, but uh, at least one of the legislators is familiar with it. Yeah, so we're gonna good. we're gonna figure that out. Um, so they're going to give a speech and try and you know just use their words to sway the other legislators to vote in their direction. Mm-hmm. The alternative is horse trading, which is about two legislators having a private meeting together and making cutting a deal and trading votes for resources, um, whichever way they want. Um, and whether or not they stick to that trade after like and vote how they said mm-hmm. they would, that uh, that is uh, up to them. <laughs> they can. That's but, interesting. So, so yeah, then they vote and there's two things they vote on. The first thing they vote on is the faction strategy. This is like a high level. If a squad isn't assigned to a specific task, then this is what that squad should be doing. You know, and there's, there's four different strategies. There's attack, bankroll, investigate, and liaise. And so those are all about like, how do you interact with an enemy squad? in your next mission are you going to attack them trying to damage them are you going to try and gain resources at their expense are you going to try and get information about something um at again at their expense or are you going to try and make a deal with them in some variety in some way and hopefully get the better of them in that deal uh and then the second thing is that they uh vote on the tactics of a faction Right. And the tactics is basically assigning a specific a specific squad to a specific type of mission or a specific objective. Right. So you might say, all right, I want to propose a vote where um, terminal company are going to attack a specific enemy squad. And uh, then if your vote goes through then the uh, uh, the GM for Terminal Company will come up with a mission based upon those directions that they got from this specific tactic that's been assigned to their squad. If your vote doesn't go through and after the legislative process concludes no specific mission has been assigned to Terminal Company, then Terminal Company will follow the strategy that has been voted on. You know, the strategy becomes the plan B for what a... a mm-hmm squad should be doing and so the gm will have more freedom about what the mission should be it'll just be something very broad like just we want you to attack we don't care who (laughs) what or how yeah uh but that's what you're going to be doing in your next mission that's interesting and and the other the other piece of the i i engage with this a little bit less because i wasn't gming but missions also typically come with rules of engagement where they say like hey don't loot anything or don't break civilian stuff and then you'll get extra resources if you if you do those things or you might be penalized so it sounds like it's sometimes squads will be handed like here's a very specific thing like go go attack this specific building use these very specific rules of engagement do this this way or you'll be in trouble and sometimes they'll be given like a little bit more freedom to just wreak havoc or uh or try to get some information or something like that, which will I think will be interesting for play. Yeah, br- broadly, yes, but also the specific tasks are still fairly um, broad, giving the GM a lot of leeway to modify the, the proposed goal based upon the narrative interests of their squad and what's going on there, mm-hmm. you know? Because I didn't want to... Uh, I. I could have, I'm sure, figured out a way to really get into the weeds about how the legislators could pick what the mission should be in great detail for the the squad going forward. But one, I didn't. I felt that that would detract from the narrative play of the legislative sessions. And two, I felt that that would detract from whatever like ongoing narrative is affecting the squad specifically because while I believe that there will be a sort of uh, broad general narrative going on 
across the squads, there's also going to be each squad having their own sub-narrative. Um, and I want the show to function in a way that uh, listeners, audience members, can watch or listen to just a single squad if, that's, mm. if there's only one mm-hmm. squad that they like. Or they can follow the entire story across each of the squads. You know, I, it's sort of like the the uh, Game of Thrones format. You know, on you know how there's the eight. Like, I guess it would be very weird to do, but theoretically, you could watch Game <laughs> of Thrones and only watch the episodes that featured or the chunks of episodes that featured Jon Snow, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and skip everything else, and you would get a very particular sort of narrative that would come out of that. Um, or you could do what a normal person would do and watch the entire episode. But the possibility of only watching Jon Snow stuff is there. Yeah. It means that you could almost you could almost engage with Kalaz Khan five different times, watching or like listening through just one group at a time and then going back and starting with a different group. That'd be interesting. Yeah, you absolutely <laughs> could do that. So as the designer of the game, um, where where in this big undertaking of a of an actual play are you worried about uh like mechan- mechanics running up into problems is there anything that you're that you're that you're most in, like watching closely to make sure that there's there's mechanical support for something or that something doesn't break um the the, the main concern is about how NPCs will act across squads, right? Mm-hmm. The the GMs and I all have access to a Google Doc of that's an NPC list where we're going to be including you know names, pronouns, look for every single NPC that gets named, along with like personality details and then you know things that happen to them in particular missions. So that we can track how an NPC changes if they should appear across different squads, right? Um, so that is sort of like the main concern that I have is like, what if you know there's an NPC that gets created in Terminal Company and then you know gets used in a session for the Farm Upstate, another squad? and dies in their mission right yeah and then terminal company then has their next session after that chronologically and wants to know what's going on with this character and like the gm's got to be like sorry they died elsewhere yeah off screen yeah well off screen for those players but on screen for the audience so that's like an interet like that is both interesting and concerning from a broad uh, show perspective, because like obviously the characters might be concerned about you know like oh well we missed we we missed out on this character that we were interested in, but also it sort of adds to the the vibe well the real real the fiction mm-hmm. that this is a war and sometimes yeah. people you know go off and just die yeah. Yeah, I could see that that could also increase conflict between the the squads. Like if if the one if one squad has an engineer and they loan that engineer NPC to another squad to take with them on a mission and then that character gets killed, that for the squad might be like, "Hey, you got my like our engineer killed. You should have been more careful what was going on." And then in the next legislative <laughs> section, maybe won't be as favorable to supporting them. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. I had not considered the possibility <laughs> of squads lending out their cohorts to each other. Uh, you know, that that is something I may have to bring up about what people think about that idea. You know, we yeah. like I said, we're we're going to be tracking NPCs across across squads, and that does include cohorts, but there's a big difference between having a cohort show up and then um the uh, uh, cohort provide like being a mechanical reality yeah. for for that other squad. 
Yeah, it's interesting. There just seems like there's a lot of really cool ways that that the squads are going to bump into each other, which I which I think I'm excited for this. I'm very excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Me too. Yeah. Um I I have in the past s- described what is maybe like my perfect actual play show that I that if I had like infinite time and infinite money and infinite players who were interested would basically I've the thing I described was basically this but with urban shadows and I think that beam saber just has so many more mechanics that work really well for this big kind of like multiple squads all kind of interacting with each other um and so it's it's very it's very cool I like beam saber a lot um I'm very excited to 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 listen to this if people want to back it there are all sorts of rewards that they can do where they can back at different levels to name NPCs, uh, name uh, name a bunch of different people, direct superiors, speaker of the house, um, sponsor episodes. Um, it's running for this episode will go out tomorrow. So it'll be running until another 18 days. I think I think the math is um, until yep. March 11th. Um, I will definitely put the link in the show notes. So that people can go and find Kalazcon and back it, and and then if 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 and if not back it, at least listen to it. Um, and I think you said watch it. Are are you editing video for YouTube as well? Yeah, actually, it's going to be released as both a podcast and as in a video format. The uh, each session is going to be. It's not going to be live streamed. Okay. We're doing all. Everything is going to be pre-recorded. Um, yeah. So the the play the roll twenty play is going to be recorded and then you know edited and uploaded to the you don't meet in an in YouTube channel. Um, that's where it will eventually live. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I guess before we totally wrap up here, is there anything else about Clascon that you're excited about that we didn't talk about that you want people to know about so they can get excited about it too? Um. I guess I guess one one thing to note is that uh, we are going to be recording this in a way that is maybe a bit different than other podcasts because of the fact that we have all these squads acting simultaneously. Um, so each you know recording will hopefully be done in a once you know we start recording. Hopefully, it will all be done in about five months, maybe six months. You know, we're hoping to aim for two recording sessions per squad um, each month. And because they don't need to, since they can be recorded, you know, uh, simultaneously, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, Hopefully we can get through all the recordings quite quickly. Uh, And then we're going to be releasing them uh, ideally weekly after the recordings are done. And we've got a bit of a backlog set up. Um, But because it's going to be released, you know, uh, in order, as opposed to simultaneously, the whole show is going to be released over the course of about two years. Uh, Cause I've done the math of the number <laughs> of episodes we're going to have. And it's, uh, it's about a hundred episodes. Oh yeah. When I looked at I saw, I read a hundred episodes earlier and, and my brain went, yes, a third of a year, but no, that's you you're not releasing, <laughs> you're not releasing daily. You're releasing weekly. So that's two years. Wow. Yeah, it'll be it'll be cool. It's gonna be a big project. I'm very excited to uh, I'm very excited to see it. I'm, I'm very excited to listen to it. And I hope that our listeners are uh, uh, can can get excited because I think it's it's an interesting this is it's an interesting from for me as a podcaster and a game designer. It's interesting because you're kind of pushing the limits of what actual play can do and pushing the limits of what the game mechanics can do. And hopefully a lot of interesting things come out of it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for. Like I said, it's an experiment and I'm excited for what we will learn and what others will learn. Yeah. Maybe uh after it's after after you've done all the recording, we can have you back on to talk about things you've learned and uh things you might have done might do differently to kind of do a a postmortem. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'd love to do a postmortem. I've actually <laughs> like I like I keep saying it's an experiment, and that's why I've thought a lot about like what are the lessons that I'm learning as I go through this that people might want to know once this is done? Cool. Well, thank you for joining me and talking about the game and, and Kalaskon and uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to be in touch in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to coming back when uh, Kalaskon's done. Yeah.
Um, I guess before you go, tell everyone again where where's the best place they can find you. Uh, all your games are on itch.io. Um, are you still yeah, on? So- are you still on Twitter? Is Twitter a, pla- a place like Twitter is actively collapsing? But for the time being, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm still on Twitter at not an in. That's n o t a n i n n. I'm also on co-host Tumblr and Mastodon, where I'm um, Austin Ramsey Games. Uh, and then on Twitch, it's you underscore don't underscore meet underscore in underscore an underscore in and, uh, YouTube at not an in, or, uh, you know, just search on YouTube for you don't meet in an in and you'll find the channel. Um, and if you again, want to back Kaliscon, you can find that on Indiegogo and just search for Kaliscon. That's C-A-L-A-Z-C-O-N. Uh, and my games are at austin-ramsay.itch.io. And I believe that should be the end of my plugs, the <laughs> long list. Yeah. And again, we'll put all those links in the notes. But uh, yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. This was a blast. It was a pleasure. And as always, you can find us on Twitter at Stop, Hack, and Roll, or individually, I am at And The Meltdowns. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, or at StopHackAndRoll.com. We make this podcast with the support of our Patreon backers, people like Jens Brower, Althalus, Larry Asmuth, Ollie Jeffrey, Magpie Mirror Test, Randy Lubin, Cheesy McSqueezy, The Flying Minotaur, Spellbound Mage, and Alice Kira. If you'd like to help support this show and all of our future shows, then check us out at patreon.com slash stop, hack, and roll. But if you can't fi- support us financially, then support us by becoming part of our community. Come and talk about the games that you're working on and join our Discord at tinyurl.com slash shrdiscord or discord.stophackandroll.com. So as you are getting ready to head to your legislative session to make sure that you're voting on how you think your galactic war should be run, don't forget to stop, hack, and roll.